Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another, another episode. Uh, today it's just going to be me, and in today's episode, at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to give you guys a quick preview on the NBA Finals and kind of my prediction. It's just going to be quick because uh, the NBA Finals tips off at 9 and it's currently 8-12 right now. So I know by the time you guys listen to this, the NBA Finals will be started or it'll be over. So there's no real point, but I figured I'll get my prediction out there and a little bit of what to expect. Uh, just, you know, because why not? And then I'm going to get to that outrageous Game 5 last night. Uh, I'll get to the whole ref thing, you know, my opinion on it. Craig Berube, just one comment really, really got me frustrated. I'll get to that. And then the Red Sox passed three games, that series against the Royals, because we didn't talk about them, so we're going to get to that. And then the Dallas Keuchel signing with the Dallas, uh, sorry, not the Dallas, uh, Dallas Keuchel, you know, Dallas, but with the Atlanta Braves. So first, we're going to start with my quick NBA Finals Game 4 prediction. So let's get to that. All right, so tonight, Game 4 of the NBA Finals tips off at the Oracle Arena in Golden State between the Raptors and the Warriors. So the Raptors had the 2-1 series lead that tips off at 9 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time. And it's simple. My prediction tonight is the Dubs. The Dubs should take this game. Kevin Durant will not play. Klay Thompson will play. And stunningly, Kevin Looney will play. No one really expected this guy to return for the series. But Kevin Looney, in a stunning turnaround, is back. Um, so what do we need for tonight? Well, Clay, what do I expect from Clay Thompson? It'll be Clay Thompson's return, and I expect a fully focused Clay Thompson in a solid night. Clay Thompson's gonna be in the zone. He's been in the zone this whole series. I could just tell on the bench he really was itching to get out there. And I think he's basically gonna pick up where he left off in a way. I do think Point-wise, he'll be a little worse. I do think overall his hamstring will affect him a little bit. I think defensively, he'll, he won't have a great game defensively. He won't do as good as he usually does. He might be a little slower in transition. And overall, I think his shot, his field goal percentage will go down a little in this game. But I still expect at least 17 points from Clay tonight especially without KD, I expect him to, you know, shoot the ball pretty well, really help Steph out, and again, might be a little slow in transition, won't have a terrific game defensively, but he'll still pitch in and do a share and definitely help Steph out. And then there's Steph. I don't expect Steph to put up 47 again, but I do expect another solid outing for Steph. I'm actually kind of feeling like 32 points tonight for Steph, something like that. Uh, and then Draymond. You get to him. I Draymond for me is a guy who last game all he did was score. He didn't pass very well. He had four turnovers. You know, seven rebounds is all right. What I need Draymond to do, and he was average defensively. Seventeen points is great. Is if he can score fourteen points, I'm happy. But what Draymond really needs to do is play much better defense and slow down Pascal Siakam. You know, get a few more rebounds and move the ball way better. He needs less turnovers and more assists. I mean, four assists to four turnovers. This guy should be getting, you know, seven assists and two turnovers. I mean, he's just a focal point of moving the ball. I know it's Draymond Green. He's a power forward, but he's a focal point for this team when it comes to moving the ball. So 
you know, that's just kind of the lowdown. I do expect a solid game for Kawhi. I think Pascal Siakam, Draymond will slow him down a little bit tonight. And overall, all those guys who had a great game for the Raptors, some of them slowed down. It'll still be a good basketball game. I just don't see the Warriors going down 3-1. I underestimate the Raptors coming into the series. The Raptors win tonight. My prediction might be changed. I'll let you guys know tomorrow. But that's kind of my quick uh, preview and prediction. Oh, yeah, Boogie's got to step up as well. So, I, I just decided I didn't really go through the Raptors. I'm sorry. But, again, I don't want to waste your time here. So, I just figured I'd get out my quick prediction. I think the Warriors are winning. I predicted they win in overtime before the series started. But in this game, I don't know, maybe overtime, maybe not. But I just expect the Warriors to win at least take one in Golden State. So, yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, maybe you already know. So, I don't know why I'm asking. But, anyway, that's all right. Maybe you guys are listening it's the middle of the game to be honest i'm not really sure because i don't know when you're listening but anyway if if, if it's before the game who do you think's gonna win i'm sorry that was really awkward but now we're going to move on to my game five stanley cup game five of the stanley cup finals reaction so let's get to that all right so last night Boston Bruins. I'm a Bruins fan. If you haven't known already, sorry for you guys that listen to like every episode. You're like, yeah, I know. But anyway, I'm a Bruins fan, so it's kind of heartbreaking that two to one loss to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, now the Blues have won the last two after that horrific uh, seven to two loss in Game Three and taken a three to two series lead, and are only one away from winning the Stanley Cup Finals and going from worst to first. Um, so yeah, we're gonna break down last night's game. I mean, just a frustrating, frustrating frustrating game for the Boston Bruins. Now, going into the game, I said one of the keys, George even called in on it before, I think it was game two or game three, but said, shots on net, shots on net. You got 19 shots on net. The Blues only got 21. You all chopped them by 18 shots. You had 39 shots on net, and I said, that's the way to beat Bennington. You get 39 shots on net, you're putting the puck like three or three, at least three or four times in the net. But Bennington stood on his head and stole that game. Now, yeah, the the official talk, I know, it's a hor- it was a horrible call. I'm not afraid to say it. It might have cost you the game, but I'm not saying it did. Uh, you go through this game, you had many scoring opportunities. Um, again, you had many, many scoring opportunities in the first period. I think the Blues didn't have a whole lot, but you had many. Second period, Ryan O'Reilly, you beat that. Usually if they come out, if a team comes out in the second period after like it's tied at zero, zero or tied one to one, or, you know, a team's down by a goal and they come out right away and score. Usually that's good coaching. I thought the Blues, I don't know if that was exactly great coaching, but put the puck behind Rask, behind the net. And try to create something there. You, you've seen it work. Ryan O'Reilly says red hot. Three goals in his past two games. I said he'd kind of be an X factor. And he has. Oh, But that's the way to beat Rask. Rask has a slow reaction time for those pucks behind the net. And he started the game game uh, four. So, I mean, that maybe that was some strategy. It kind of just seemed coincidental. But, again, who knows? And then you had the Perron goal. So, oh, yeah. And then the second period, Krejci again. I just want to... Krejci made an amazing play. Dives out, sacrifices his body to save that goal late in the second period. But that Nolachari, that that was disgusting, okay? Tyler Brozak clearly, clearly trips him, slashes him, whatever you want to say. Takes his legs out from under Nolachari. And there's no call. I mean, the ref's right there. Bruce Cassidy, he's a guy who does not complain. 
much about the refs. Never really does. Bruce Cassidy's a humble man. I really like Bruce Cassidy. Just a humble guy. You'll never really hear him complain, oh, we should have played better. You know, he's just a humble man. But to hear him call this a black eye, you know, it shows it was really a bad call. The ref's right there. That that call has to be made. That call has to be made. You can't. You can't mess that up. And I'm sorry. Even if the, that tells us a lot about what the NHL is trying to do. Because the NHL obviously talks to the refs for some of these games. Hey, rig it some one way. It, and I said going into this game, we're going to find out a lot about, you know, which team the NHL wants to win. If they call a lot of penalties... You know, some games there's just going to be a lot of penalties, like clear penalties. But if they're missing calls, you know, clear calls like that, or even, you know, some, you know, if they're not calling a lot of penalties, clearly letting some things slide, they're going to want the Blues. But if they're calling little things, you know, making this a special team game, they're going to want the Bruins. That call made me really believe they just want the Blues to win. And I'm not being a salty Bruins fan that's saying that one call, but that one call tells us a lot that they didn't want to make that a special teams game. The Bruins and special teams, they're too good. And that kind of tells me they want the Blues to win. Now, the NHL expect the Bruins to win Game 6. I think most people just know the Bruins will win Game 6. I think the NHL is going to rig it in their favor. They want a seven-game series. It's simple. The NHL wants a seven-game series. So they're going to rig it in the Bruins' favor next game. That's just how it's going to work. The Bruins are going to answer. I do believe that. But that call was absurd. And then the thing that was really going on my nerves was Craig Berube said, I'm not here to judge the officials. You, you were the one before the game that was talking all about how the officials were missing these calls. And you, you're not here to judge the officials. Weren't you just doing it after game four? And I think that did play, you know, some sort of impact on that call. So I don't even want to hear that. Uh, I'm not here to judge the official. You can say that smirk like he held out oh, what to say. He knows it was a penalty. Bozak looked back at the ref, you know, kind of like, oh, dang. And then he got away with it. You know, he's looking back at the ref, heading off to the penalty box, for God's sake. I mean, that's a clear, clear as day call. Tyler Bozak knew it was a penalty. Everyone knew it was a penalty. The ref is right there. There is literally no excuse in the book. For that, you could even see Craig Ruby at the press conference. Kind of, I don't even know if it was like a smirk or what I what it was, but you could just tell he, you know, there was just that look in his face. Like I know it was a penalty, but I don't want to admit it. And I'm not here to judge the officials. You're kidding. Weren't you the one that was just judging the official after Game Four? So I don't even want to hear that. From Craig Berube, and I just lost a lot of respect with that comment because you specifically were judging them after that game. But so, did it cost the Bruins the game? And my answer is no. It didn't cost. I never will say a ref cost you the game because you don't never know. Very rare occasion I say the ref cost the or official or whatever costs you the game. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if you scored on one of those opportunities before? And you're probably saying, Aiden, it happens. Bennington had a very good game. So let's say everything ends up being the same. You scored the goal, tied it up at 1-1. Yeah, you very well could have won. Sure. If that if that was called a penalty, they takes the Perron goal away, and then you score after that, it's 1-1, maybe scoring the power play. So maybe you do win the game. But you never you don't know. If that penalty is called, maybe you don't score on the power play. And maybe you get that goal at the six-minute mark, but then all of a sudden they it goes to overtime and the Blues win. 
Or maybe the Blues score a shorthanded goal. You just don't know. You can't say the refs blew the game. Could they have? Definitely. There's no doubt about it. A ref can, an official can miss a, you know, small little call that probably should have been called, but it's not a huge deal. You know, it was controversial. With three minutes into the first period, that could cost the team a game. You just don't know. You can't say that the refs cost the Bruins that game last night. Because you don't know. Maybe the Blues go ahead and win in overtime. Could the refs have cost the Bruins the game last night? Yes. But did they? We don't know. So I don't want to hear yes that they did cost the game. Again, could they have cost the Bruins the game last night? They very well could have. But we don't know for sure. So stop whining. Was it a bad, bad call? Yes. We... You know what, as Bruins fans, I don't mind just ripping on the refs. We should. But the whining. I don't like the whining. You don't know that. Could the refs, again, the refs very, very well could have cost us the game last night. But we don't know if they specifically would have. Maybe it goes to overtime and the Blues win anyway. So that's my that's my thing on that very, very rare occasion. Am I mad about the call? Yes. Do I think, do I think we could have won that game without that call? Yes. I think we, we probably could have. But I'm not completely sure on that, so I can't say the refs cost us the game. Was it a horrible call? Yes, it's a black guy in the league. All of that, I'm still mad about it, but I'm not going to sit here and whine about it. That's the reason we lost. We had many opportunities before that call to score on Bennington, and we had opportunities after. I mean, you know, we pulled the goal, pulled Rask and had some opportunities. We had opportunities all night to score on Bennington. You should have struck. Bad calls are going to happen. They've been called on the Blues. Was that the worst one so far this series? Probably. But again, I can't say it cost you the game. Very well could have, but I can't say it did. So that's what I don't like, that it cost us the game. My friend today, all that, that's all he's talking about. Big Bruins fan. Oh, well, he said Vegas Knights fan, but he also likes the Bruins and the Vegas Knights are out. So that's all he's whining about today. Um, and I was just, uh, I hope he's not listening to this. But uh, if he is... Yeah, you weren't really whining about it, but I you have a point. Uh you know. So I'll 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 see you. If he if he is hearing this, uh I mean, I wouldn't really say you were whining about it, but I mean you stood your ground for sure. You talked about it a lot today, and I don't blame you. I was absurd about it too, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say he was whining about it. But some other people were, not him, not my friend, but some other Bruins fans were whining about it today. He was just talking about it. How absurd. I was like, yeah, it was. But some of the people, all they've heard them talking about is how costly the game. So I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the whining about it because it happens in sports. We can complain about it all we want, but it's not going to change the uh, outcome of the game. And overall, we can't whine about it because you just never know. And it happens to every single team. So we can complain about it. I don't blame you for complaining. But the whining and saying it costs us the game is ridiculous. And I know you're probably saying it's not ridiculous. But you know what I mean. It's just not... It, you, you can't say it costs us the game because you don't know. So, I guess again, I stress that point way, way too much. But very well could have won that game last night. Again, you, you had multiple opportunities. Bennington was great. Bennington was amazing. Rask has to step up. Only 21 shots, 19 saves. I will say Bennington, though, that one goal from Jake DeBrusque was a little soft. And, well, it was a little soft. Um, but overall, he was great. Uh, Krug, I give a lot of credit to for, you know, getting hit high-sticked in the face, sticking with the play, and that gave you goal. Char also played very well last night with the broken jaw, I will say. So, overall, you were at a great defensive game. You just need to put more pucks in the net. 
the the top lines really need to give you something. DeBrusque finally, you know, sparks with that third line. I'm expecting the Koi Johansson. I'm expecting from that duo at least one goal a night. I am. I'm coming to expect one goal a night from you guys. So, again, one off night. But the first line really has to step up. The third line, got to get back to your old ways. And overall, as long as the defense can keep that up, Rask can, can let up a, you know, I, I think the defense was the defense was your best thing last night. You need better offense. You had some special teams opportunities. Overall, I, I already stressed the whole thing. Your best aspect last night was defense. So now we are going to get to the Red Sox series versus the Royals. So let's get to that. All right, so the Red Sox took care of business in Kansas City, sweeping the Royals in their three-game series. A very impressive series, I thought. Again, the Royals are horrible. They're 19-41. and 41. But overall, this series told me that this Red Sox team just... They're, they're just not that great against um, better teams. You know, more caliber teams. You know, you know championship caliber teams, if you will. Because I felt like the way they played against the Astros, Indians, Yankees... Versus the way they played against the Royals, overall they played about the same. Like they're sk- it's not like they played any way better against the Royals. It was just that these teams are much better. Like the Red Sox, the way they played against the Royals was good enough to beat the Royals, but the way they played against the Yankees, Astros, and Indians wasn't enough. And they didn't even play horrible. It's just these teams just at the end of the day had more skill, more talent, and one more more of the games. So I don't know. It was just something to take away for me that they're just they're struggling against these tough teams, which makes me wonder: can they really get to the postseason? Now these three games helped. The three games helped me, you know, help the Red Sox get closer to the postseason, but also helped me understand that yeah, this team just—they're not, you know, some of these teams are just better than them. I don't know what to say. You know, the way that they're playing against the Royals is good enough to beat the Royals, but not these better teams. So. I, I don't know how to put it, but it just kind of told me that they they might have a hard time getting to the postseason. Uh, the first game of the series, you picked up that 8-3 to win. I thought Eduardo Rodriguez is a solid outing, five and two-thirds of an inning, six uh, hits, two earned runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. I really like the strikeout-to-walk ratio, seven to nothing. Hembry came in, finished up the inning for you. Walden came in, only let up that walk. Workman came in, got the job done, and Ryan Brazier did let up the home run. But other than that, he was fine and got the save. Uh, 8-3, to three, pretty easy save for Ryan Brazier there. Then the second game. The, why we're not... I hear no one talking about Chris Sale. Chris Sale pitched a complete 9-inning shutout with an immaculate 8th inning. Nine pitches in the 8th inning, all strikes, and that got him through strikeouts. Like That is incredible. To get an immaculate inning, complete game, and a shutout. You know how hard it is to get a complete game nowadays? Even, you know, I don't care if there's three runs, two. It is so hard to pitch a complete game. A complete game shutout. Yeah, the immaculate inning, too. He got better as that game went on. Really, you know, beginning of the game, Bogarts makes an incredible play. So does Raphael Devers. Had some help from the fielders. He really did. Um, But... He had, you know, a little help from the field to help him get through that game a little quicker. But then, seventh inning really mowed him down. Eighth inning is the immaculate inning. Ninth inning just got it over with. And, you know, he really made that, those innings go by quick. Um, J.D. Martinez, after coming off an absolute field day, goes 0 for 5. I will just point that out. Uh, and then, 
Uh, for the Royals, it was Jacob Eunice, who did not pitch, pitch very well at all. But, I mean, Chris Sale just mowed him down. That's what I just wanted to get to. Chris Sale, I told you, have patience with this guy. He's coming off this injury, and although I'm still not a huge fan of the contract, he's coming off the injury that's come down. He has a 3.84 ERA now in 77.1 innings pitched. So this, that's why I said just calm down with Chris Sale. He will find his stride, and he did slowly but surely, and I'm not saying, you know, He's 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 pretty much Chris Sale, and I'm not saying you know he you shouldn't have panicked a little, but you know you slow your roll. But again, you should panic about this Red Sox team a little bit still, despite that sweeping. It's the Royals. It's it's the Royals. I'm not I'm not taking away wins here, but that that's the Royals. Then you won that seven to five game again when you pitch Ryan Weber. He made his fifth career start, or his fifth or sixth. And he has a 5.03 ERA. Just hate when this guy pitches. It's like it's pitching Hector Velasquez to me. It kind of just makes me feel you don't care. You don't have enough pitching. And you're just going to burn your bullpen out because these guys can't last five to six innings at least. It, that's just that's just what my takeaway. And then Colton Brewer came in and, you know, two, you know he, he got through those two innings, helped you out. Uh, Marcus Walden came in, got out of a pinch in the fourth inning, uh, you know, that one out bases loaded pinch. Betts made the play, gunned it home, and then Walden struck out um, their two hole hitter, which was Alberto Mondese, who was a shortstop. He was 0 for 5. He had like three or four strikeouts. He, I felt bad because they the Royals would always get like two or three runners in scoring position. They'd load up the and you can't even get three runners in scoring position, but they'd always have like first and third or second or third or load up the bases with one or two outs, and all of a sudden he'd trot up there and you'd go, Great. That guy was ice cold. I, I feel bad for it. I really do feel bad. Um for the Royals, they had to go through that. Brazier came in, did a solid job, did a lot up the two hits, but got through it. He's just a strikeout machine. Then Josh Taylor came in, a little bit of a shaky seventh inning, let up the Alex Gordon home run, but was all right. Heath Henry came in, got done in the eighth. Matt Barnes got the you know save. It wasn't a great save, but it was a save in the ninth. Um, so Lair hits his sixteenth home run of the year, but. Well, you're kind of burning out your bullpen at this point, uh, and especially against a team like the Royals, do we really have to do that? But, I mean, you had that, you know, big – Danny Duffy kind of struggled. He did get hurt on that uh, – I, I forget who hit it, but at this point, there's just so much um, sorts going on. I just forget who hit it, but it hit the back of – like, I think it was Jamie Martinez or uh, Rafael Devers, but – Danny Duffy comes out. Brian Flynn comes in, does a solid job for them. Scott Barlow came in and let up that horrible seventh inning. But to be fair, I mean, to be fair in that inning, that was a horrible play by Billy Hamilton in the center field. Billy Hamilton, I remember when he's running around Cincinnati, just stealing every single base in the ballpark. Now, all of a sudden, he had that hit to uh, left field. And he just made a horrible play that cost him a few runs. And then he had Scott Barlow that that did kind of that to let you down. But again, he let up the hits, the walks to get those guys on base. And then he did have the wild pitch that scored, I believe, Christian Vasquez on third. Yeah, I believe he scored Christian Vasquez. So, you know, Billy Hamilton did have the bad play, but he still gave up a hit and two walks and put those guys in scoring position. And then he did have the wild pitch, to be fair. So overall, it's a good series. But overall, it also tells me that, you know, is this team really good enough? Um, 
to compete with some of these more postseason caliber teams. This is a huge series against the Rays coming up. Currently in the standings again, forget about the Blues, Jays, and Orioles, but you're sitting at 33 and 29, which that has to, that percentage of 5.532 has to go up. But you're six and a half games behind the Yankees. But I want you to focus on the Rays right now. Especially at the moment, because you're facing them. But you're five games behind them. They're 37 and 23. They're six and four in your last ten. You're six and four. Have a good series in threes. Win two out of three. I'm not settling for one out of three because one out of three separates you from them. Two out of three at least inches you closer. At least you can get through it and get a little closer from them and kind of build up a little confidence against them because you're gonna face them a lot. But you need to win two of the next three, okay? You know, it's hard to expect to sweep. The Rays are a good team. But if you can win two of the next three, I'm happy. Because you inch a little closer to them. You're not going to conquer second place in this series. If you win all three, you still don't have second place. So if you can win two of the next three, you get a little closer to the Rays. We're going to have to take this a series a game at a time. Game at a time, series at a time, and inch up to the Rays, then the Yankees. And it could be by the time we, you know, touch second place, the Yankees could be in second because it's pretty close between the Yankees and Rays. Yankees starting to cool off a little bit, um, but I mean, it's going to be interesting down the uh, stretch, see what the Red Sox can do, but I think this is a very big series. Yeah, I hate to say that in the beginning of June, but I- I'm saying it because the Red Sox these are starting to become must-win games. So good series against the Royals, but again, it tells me, can you really compete against these postseason teams? We'll see against the Rays, big series. So now to end off today's episode, we are going to talk about the Dallas Keuchel to the Atlanta Braves signing. So let's get to that. All right, so most baseball fans know the news. Shortly after Craig Kimbrell, the two big free agents that were left were Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel. And I guess now is the time of the year, early June, where some teams kind of sitting in a wild card spot or in a close divisional race or right outside. The Cubs and the Braves, respectively, I believe, both hold um, wild well, both hold positions in the playoffs, but are in tough, tight division races. So decided they're going to add arms to either their bullpen or certain rotation to kind of shore up the roster. Now, when it comes down to it, the Braves right now are sitting in second in one of the best divisions in baseball, the NL. East, and they are thirty-three and twenty-nine, which is the same um, record as the Red Sox. Obviously, their expectations are a little lower, but considering the Braves and the fact that they're usually a ninety-win team or an eighty-eight-win team at least in the regular season, they have been a little disappointing. They're four and six in their last ten, and their starting rotation is starting to crumble a little bit, if you will, and they're starting to run out of gas. It seems overall, their bullpen. I mean, their starting pitching has a 4.39 ERA, which is 17th in the league, and has a total of 328.1 innings pitched, which compared to most teams isn't even a whole heck of a lot. Uh, a few teams in the 200 still like the Tampa Bay Rays. You have the um, LA Angels as well, and the Texas Rangers, all in the 200s for innings. But basically, overall, their starting pitchers haven't even pitched the average. They're actually under average. But they still have struggled a little bit, especially of late. And Dallas Keuchel is just going to be a fit. One year, $13 million is a little too much for a guy who's going to be in the, on your team. You know, I mean... You're probably 40% through the year by now. I mean, let me, let me check. Yeah, you're around 38% per, through the year. So for Dallas Keuchel, I'd say one year $13 million is a little bit 
for the Braves to give up, I'd say he's more around, uh, you know, $11 million, $10 million. But what's the difference? I think only a few million dollars to get an ace like Dallas Keuchel. He didn't finish out his, uh, years, uh, his year last year in Houston very strongly, kind of struggled towards the end of the year. Uh, and he might be a bit of a wild card with his injuries for the Braves. But overall, I think it is worth the risk. And I don't even think there's a huge risk either. Um, you needed to shore up that starting rotation. You need to get an arm. So you get Dallas Keuchel. You're trying to make a run. Your team always plays well in the regular season but can't pick it up in the playoffs. Right now, it looks like you'll make the playoffs, especially with the addition of Dallas Keuchel. But you need to continue that regular season success into the playoffs. So get a dominating arm like Dallas Keuchel. Again, the injuries might be a little concerning, but think about it this way. Dallas Keuchel's still a great pitcher, and he just had – give or take, almost half the year off. Over one-third of the year, he just had off to kind of rest his arm. I'm sure he's still working out, but still rest his arm from a lot of, you know, constant baseball activities. So I think this will be a great fit for the Atlanta Braves. I think he will have some times where, you know, he might have a few bumps in the road, but overall he'll be good. I think he's starting to exit his prime, but he'll he's still a very good pitcher, so I think he'll come in and really help this Atlanta Braves team and seal a few games for them, which will be big in their tight divisional race. Right now, they're two games behind the Phillies for first place, and only three games ahead of the Mets, and five games ahead of the Nationals, and then they're... Uh, nine games out of the Marlins. And even the Marlins are kind of still in it, even though they're not really. Uh, but I expect the Phillies and Braves to kind of be at the top. I expect the Phillies in first, Braves in second. My beginning of the year um, predictions were Phillies in first, Braves in second, Nationals in third, Mets in fourth, Marlins in fifth. And the most controversial one was the Nationals and Mets, and they've kind of switched places. But it's still very close, so adding Dallas Keiko might help them win a few games which could really be the difference for the making to the postseason and not, and it could be the difference in the postseason. So, yeah, that's all I have uh, to say for you guys today. Um, go follow my Instagram, After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Again, that's After the Buzzer Sports Talk, no lower, uh, all lowercase, no spaces. Also, go call in on the Anchor mobile app, type in After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and send in a voice message talking about something that you maybe disagreed with or something you want me to talk about or some general statement or prediction you want to make, anything you want to talk about. Obviously, just keep it appropriate, but you you get the whole point. Uh, I say it a lot, but in case you're new, I just figured I'd let you know. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you next time.